Hope Talk, a PCM podcast. I will tell you one of the things that drives me crazy the most, and this has happened to me before, is I'm stand, or I'm sitting in church, the pastor's standing up, and he says, well, you know, the Bible says blank, blank, blank. And I'm like, now, I will admit, I'm a seminary student, so I can be some sometimes like super cynical, but I'm like, no, the Bible does not say that. That was a quote from Gandhi. And, you know, that happens a lot of times, right. though. I mean, even to pastors, that happens. Uh, and Does it happen to your dad? Uh, there have been times before really? he said stuff. Uh, and I was trying to think of a good example. I can't think of one right now. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times it's things, by the way, that the Bible implies, and somebody else just sums it up really nicely into a short little quotable phrase. And so it's not like, it's almost not worth calling out, hey, you completely quoted something wrong, because it's like, well, the Bible does kind of say that, just not in those words. Right. That's how Gandhi summed it up, or that's how yeah. Mother Teresa said it. But uh, there, we actually found this article from Relevant Magazine talking about seven statements that Christians believe that are unbiblical. And so we wanted to kind of talk through some of these, and I think some of them might actually be those that you're like, that's in the Bible, right? Uh, and not only are these not in the Bible, but you know the ones I was talking about earlier the principle is still there. A lot of these, the principle is not there. So, right. uh, so anyway, it'll be fun to kind of talk about these things and talk about why the principle is not there. So we'll jump right in. The first one, God helps those who help themselves. That's as Southern of a saying as I've ever heard one. You know, I mean, you hear that all the time. Churches, families, well-meaning moms. Yep. And what's funny is like, I'm kind of glad that it's completely 100% unequivocally untrue. Yeah. You know, because like uh, the whole idea of grace and everything just kind of flies in the face of that uh, saying. I, I wonder where it came from, you know, because like God helps those who help them, helps themselves. Uh, I mean, is that like something that like a, a school principal said to try to <laughs> yeah, get his students to listen or do their work? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird because it's the exact opposite of the gospel. Like the gospel says, by the way, you're helpless, and so you can't help yourself. Right. Uh, Matthew sixteen twenty four actually says, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. However, I think we live in a culture that kind of in a sense, alludes to this, and that's what a lot of people are thinking about Christianity anyway, because, uh, I don't know, there's this, like, the whole health and wealth, prosperity, gospel kind of stuff that, yeah. by the way, that is preached because Just sow your good. seed into the ministry, and yeah. God will return it tenfold. And it feels good. Like, it feels good to think I can do something good and get something better back, because right. we like the transactional kind of thing. But it's, yeah, it's completely 100% malarkey. Yep. Anti-gospel. I like, that's what the yeah. article says. This is yeah. completely anti-gospel. Yeah. So, number two, God wants me to be happy. I like the idea of that one. Um, but, yeah, it's, and honestly, that's probably the one I think I hear the most. Yeah. Um, out of all of these is this idea or I even, I even hear this one in the negative a lot of times. God doesn't want us to be unhappy. Right. Yeah. Um, and, 
I think it's also probably the most attractive of all of these because um, you want it to make sense. You want it to be true. You want it to be something that sounds good and seems possibly in line with the nature of God. Um, but again, it's not based around any biblical statements. Right. Yeah, I I remember, in a sense, I could make it based around it if I really wanted to, used in the right context. I will never forget my youth pastor. <laughs> it sounds like, like in a way, I could manipulate yeah. the Bible well, to make it make sense and to make it say Well, I'm going to manipulate the phrase to make it match the Bible. Okay, so, gotcha. Uh, I remember my youth pastor uh, preached this message or taught this lesson or whatever you want to call it uh, that I will never forget to this day. And he quoted John Piper who said, we're most satisfied when God is, I'm, I'm misquoting a little bit, but it's close (laughs) enough. Uh, we are most satisfied when God is most glorified. And so, um, even the passage of Bible of the Bible, that says, God will give us the desires of our hearts. A lot of people are like, well, whatever my heart desires, God's going to give me if I follow him. And no, what God's actually giving you is what you're like, like he's saying, here are the things that your heart should desire. And so when God gives us the things that our heart should desire, all of a sudden we start desiring those things, we are going to be happy when God's most glorified. I mean, even the call for, you know, us to go and make disciples of all nations, like if that's what our heart desires, then when that does happen, you know, you know, we should be satisfied. And in a sense, that's where I kind of bring it all back around that when God gives us the desires of our heart, then he does want those desires to be fulfilled. And so as we're going around making disciples and being satisfied and that we're obeying God's commands, we're happy and God wants that to happen in the same time. So, but yeah, that's after you twist yeah. it and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's more like God wants us to grow. Um, yeah, exactly. And growth is not always a pleasant experience. Um, you know, you think about even just like physically, um, you know, you get shin splints or, you know, you're awkwardly gangly for a while. Um, you know, your eyes actually, um, you can, uh, have blurred vision and stuff like that. If your your certain parts of your body grow, uh, too quickly, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can be painful with growth. It's not always a pleasant experience. And so, um, with God wanting us to grow, that doesn't necessarily correlate with happiness. Now we can choose joy in every situation, which is different, right? Um, we can choose joy in every situation, but again, uh, joy is not uh, equitable with uh, happiness there. Yeah. All right, number three, we are all God's children. Now, I hear this a lot because it's like, oh, we all should be nice to each other, mm-hmm. and that's because, you know, we're all children of God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Yeah. It uh, actually gives us some parameters. Yeah, and, and you know, I love the the analogy of adoption because it's like when we come to know Christ, we are adopted into his family. Uh, but by the way, before that kid was adopted into the family, they're not that father or that mother's child. They're yeah. someone else's child. And, you know, in a sense, we're all born as children of the world. Uh, or, I mean, if you want to get super intense, all born as children of sin. Uh, and it's only when we're adopted by Christ or through Christ's blood, I guess by God, through Christ's blood, that's when we become children of God. Yeah, I think this is, again, one of those sayings that uh, is well-meaning, um, yeah. but uses the wrong terminology. Um, you know, if, if you could just say something more like, you know, God loves all of us, 
you know, or something like that. And maybe they're trying to say God loves us like his children or, you know, um, God loves us so much and wants us to be a part of his family or something like that. There's just slight tweaks and slight changes you could do to make that um, true as opposed to uh, false. And I think the, you know, just the idea of it is well-meaning, but uh, unfortunately off. All right. This one's probably the funniest one in this whole list. Uh, because I don't think I've ever heard this quoted as the Bible. Okay. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I don't know if I've heard it next to the uh, our paralleled, you know, saying it's from the Bible or anything like that. But uh, I've heard it a lot. Um, I think because there's so many uh, encouragements uh, and traditional um, sayings, particularly here in the South, that are infused with the Christian faith. And I feel like that's such a Southern thing. Again, cleanliness is next to godliness. Or, or maybe it was just from like, uh, you know, uh, a Dawn commercial or, you know, <laughs> uh, some kind of, you know, cleaning supplies. I don't know. So I don't, I just Googled it. So that doesn't mean this is completely reliable. Right. But I was wondering the origin. They say this phrase was first recorded in a sermon by John Wesley in 1778. But the idea is ancient, found in Babylonian and Hebrew religious tracts. I actually wouldn't have expected that at all. No, I would have thought it was, uh, you know, originated in, you know, the late 1800s in the antebellum yep. South. Or, that's exactly, know, that, you know, that type of stuff. That's exactly what I was thinking. Maybe because that's how it's always portrayed in, yep. you know, movies and TV shows. Which I could see, uh, even at that, maybe the phrase, because you got to think about like the Old Testament law mm-hmm. and the idea of being clean versus unclean, depending on certain foods you eat and certain actions that you do. And so I could see, honestly, that would almost make a little bit more sense of the phrase, but maybe just over time, the uh, the phrase has evolved. I mean, now it's like a parent goes, well, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Go clean your room. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Fourth John. Chapter oh, yeah. three, exactly, dude. Uh, First, two, there. Right. I had a teacher that used to say all the time, "The Book of First Hesitations." Uh, he, he, anytime he quoted something like this, right. he'd be like, "Well, you know, that's found in First Hesitations seven two, kind of thing." Hesitations. So, yeah, that's good. All right, this is a very interesting one. God won't give you more than you can handle. I have heard that one a lot, and I have heard that one a lot from close loved ones. Uh, yeah. as well. Um, I've heard that from coworkers um, and all well-meaning. Um, but <laughs> I think what's ironic is while people say that well-meaning, that I think that one right there probably does more damage than any of the others on this entire list. Um, it's the one with the most potential uh, to really cause some problems if people take it to heart or, to, uh, or if they... Um, try to live by those words. Um, you know, we think, uh, we know that God loves us. Um, and we know that, uh, God wants the best for us. Uh, but he will absolutely give us more than we can handle. Um, and will allow things that are outside of the capabilities that we possess so that, he can then be relied on. He can then be uh, the 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 savior, for yeah. lack of a better word, to step in and uh, to save the day. Um, again, I've I've heard people say that all the time. You know, uh, well, you know, uh, this is really really tough right now. 
Um, this is really difficult. It's really hard. I don't know how I can make it through it, but God wouldn't give me more than I can handle. And I wince every time I hear it because I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. that's not true at all. Yeah, I think the origin of this might come from, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul is saying, there's no temptation that's going to overtake you that's not common to other men, uh, but God is faithful and he will not tempt you beyond what is your ability. But here's where the important part of that verse comes. He's, it says he won't attempt you beyond what's your ability to handle, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So not mm-hmm. that it's going to go away, uh, but he's going to provide a way. And I think the very same uh, could be said of some of this stuff. Like God will give us some stuff that we can't handle. Actually, probably a lot of stuff mm-hmm. that we can't handle on our own. But then we even have the pro- uh, promise like we're given in Matthew 11 where Jesus is like, come to me. If you're weary, come to me if you're carrying all these burdens around and I'm going to give you rest. But that goes back to the the whole idea, again, of, of growth <laughs> as opposed to happiness. Much um, different, yeah. You know, because growth, he may give give you something that you can't handle, um, but through the process, you learn to handle it. And so the next time he can, he can grow you in a different way, grow you in another way, challenge you in another way, because through the process of... God helping you through it, uh, you've grown to a point in which you can accomplish things that were bigger than you could before. Yeah, that's right. All right, the sixth one, I've actually heard more in the form of a question, uh, but it's actually stated as a statement in this article, bad things happen to good people. So a lot of times I've heard that's just kind of assumed and people say, well, yeah, why? Why do bad things happen yeah. to good people? Uh, but it's uh, it's uh, obvious, first of all, yeah. that there are good people, well, I'll just let you talk first. I'll yeah, say I just, to me, that one, like, that one's not as big a deal. Like, I, obviously, to claim it's from the Bible is erroneous, uh, which is a fancy word for false, Jared. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I was getting the dictionary. Yeah. Um, to claim it's from the Bible, obviously, is not true. But it's one of those things that's kind of like, okay, duh. You know, like, bad things happen to everybody. Um, a lot of it is your your response you know, yep. and how you choose to, to handle the situation and, you know, where you go from there, whether you power through it and whether you can power through it, whether you have to rely on God's grace, his, his uh, peace, wisdom, whatever. Um, but that's just one of those that, yeah, I don't know how it got applied to scripture, but it just ain't in there. Yeah. I, uh, first of all, I was kind of going to go the same route that you were and then something else hit me. Uh, we did a series, or not a series, it was just like a one Sunday kind of thing at my church one time, and we asked people to submit biblical questions that they had uh, over like a month leading up to mm-hmm. it, and then my dad and I took turns addressing the questions on that day. So, uh, so you know, he'd address one, then we'd switch out and address, and one of the questions was, why do bad things happen to good people? And so I had, uh, this happened to be the question that my dad was going to answer, and I was kind of expecting very much that route of like, well, sometimes God has a bigger plan that we can't understand. So something bad happens to somebody who seems good because, um, because God had a greater plan that you don't understand yet. Or, you know, it's because of sin because sins in the world, sometimes, all in the world. Yeah. yeah. So I expected one of those two answers. My dad got up there and he goes, bad things don't happen to good people. I'm like, what, where is he going with this? Mm-hmm. And he goes, because there's not any good people in the world. The Bible says there's no one righteous, no, not one. And that's from Romans chapter 3. And I was like, 
Wow. So honestly, I still probably would go the route of, right. of you know, well, sins in the world or uh, God might, may have a bigger plan. Uh, but yeah, truth is nobody's good. I like it either way. They yeah. both work. <laughs> yeah. They both kind of work in tandem too. You can combine them both together and make a super answer. All right. So this last one, I'm glad. I think we have a decent amount of time to talk about this. Yes. Okay. This is the one that drives me crazy the most, I think. And it is the weirdness of, I don't, we might have to be a little sensitive about the way I talk I about this because it drives me crazy, but it is the weirdness of how people talk about other people after they die. And so, Ooh, uh, this is a uh, timely uh, yeah. and awkward, maybe because of Kobe Bryant stuff. Well, I, I'll just read the phrase okay. and then we can avoid that. Okay. <laughs> so when someone dies, the phrase, God gained another angel or the fly high or all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you my, I guess my stick with this whole thing okay. is it's like even Christians, I feel like lose their whole sense of their theology when someone dies because they want to believe something else about them. Like we don't die and become angels. Like that's never in the Bible. That's not promised in the Bible. Uh, or even like the whole sense. I mean, I almost feel like that's what it's applying when somebody's like, uh, you know, I see this on Facebook all the time. RIP so-and-so fly high. And it's like this, I don't know. It's like all of a sudden we're just floating on clouds. We're all angels once we die. Right. Uh, when, it's very clear in the Bible, and well, at least the general principles are pretty dang clear what happens after you die. And becoming an angel, I just never see that in the Bible. Right. That's like, uh, you know, uh, on his way to, you know, doggy heaven, uh, a cat slowly morphs into a uh, dachshund, <laughs> you know, or something like that. It's just um, two completely different types of beings uh, here. Um, but I think it stems... I think it stems first of all from people just not understanding, you know, heaven. Um, There's the whole uh, Hollywood heaven, you know, where you go up in the clouds and you play a harp and you've got wings and you've got a halo uh, and that type of stuff. It was just, I think for the longest time through media, particularly Hollywood TV, nice. Just break everything there, Jared. For real though. Um, But people not understanding heaven, they knew about angels. They knew that heaven was a place and so it was easy just to 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 symbolize going to heaven by symbolizing the person as an angel, and so people have kind of ran with it. But um, this whole idea of you know that that's obviously you know we don't become angels, but this whole idea of people going to heaven um, and becoming an angel, I think, stems from when someone passes away or someone dies. Uh, there's a tendency for us to want to remember the good things, That's remember exactly the, the right. good qualities, yeah. uh, to not focus on the bad qualities. I mean, we could have this whole conversation about Kobe Bryant um, sure. and just his various milestones in his you know life career and career. Um, but it's just, I think it's human nature. It's it's our tendencies to to remember the good, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that um, in and of itself. Uh, I think you need a little bit of a, uh, a reality check in some cases. Um, but this idea that just because you remember the good things and you equate the idea of good with heaven and you equate angels with heaven, uh, that's just something people like to say. And it's completely shallow, means nothing, is 
absolutely untrue. But uh, again, it's just, it's our human nature and yeah. tendency to try to make the best out of sad situations. Well, I think that kind of just leads up into a good summary of all of these. And that is that there are so many things floating around that people claim to be from the Bible. There are so many things that we commonly say that probably even you and I use in our everyday conversation that uh, we just got to be careful about and uh, be more careful, I guess, not only in the way we talk, the way that things are conveyed to other people, but also in the way that we think about God as well. So what are ways that uh, people can make sure that they don't fall into these uh, bad things, these bad sayings? I think number one is like you got to be in the Word of God yourself. You cannot know it all what the word of God says if you're not in it and studying it yourself um, and I think part of the problem is that people I mean I mentioned I've sat under pastors who have quoted stuff and by the way nobody else in the congregations ever said that's not in the Bible uh, and I think we just so often have these people like a pastor or somebody we look up to Professor as a leader or, yeah yeah whoever there's like if they say it we don't we just kind of take that for granted I mm. usually uh, anytime I'm in church, I try to, even though I trust my dad's my pastor, and I totally trust my dad to read the right passage of Scripture, but if he says, you know, the book of John says this, then I'm going and looking up uh, the book of John and seeing exactly where it says Mm -hmm. that and seeing what context it's in. So sometimes it just takes actually not taking things for granted and uh, and doing your own study work on a regular basis Mm -hmm. to kind of be familiar and avoid some of the problems that can come from not doing yeah. that. Um, I think that's number one. Um, I would put number two at uh, surrounding yourself with yeah. people who also do that. Yep. Um, accountability. Um, you know, Particularly, it's difficult, but particularly for pastors and leaders and professors and stuff like that, um, having that in place uh, is necessary. It's huge. Um, and so many of them don't do that um, So I think uh, accountability, whether you're in leadership or just an individual, uh, accountability goes a long way in making sure that you're living the right way, quoting scripture correctly, and not adding uh, Southern colloquialisms, or however you say that word, um, into the Word of God. Hope Talk, a PCM podcast. 